Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. As we begin this sermon, I invite you to close your eyes. Not to sleep, but close your eyes. Close your eyes for a moment. And as you close your eyes, I invite you to imagine and picture Jesus. In your mind and your imagination, try and picture him. Okay, you could open your eyes. Now, I don't have access to each of your imaginations, and, and if we did, it would be so fascinating just to know what just came to your mind. Um, if we had more time in a different venue, we might share some of the images and things that come to mind. I've done that in a small group experience. It's fascinating what comes to the mind in terms of when you try and picture Jesus. Maybe it's from a painting um, that you've seen. Maybe it's from a, a child's Bible. Maybe from your first impressions of seeing Jesus maybe with sheep on his shoulders. Maybe it's another picture of Jesus. Um, but all of us have some form of Jesus in our mind when we try and imagine him. Um, but typically I've seen when that exercise is done, um, there's a lot of conventional pictures of Jesus, things that are expected, but so much that's in Scripture, so much that we read in the Gospels is unconventional, and it's not what you just imagined, and it actually is out of the box and can sometimes even be a little bit disturbing, because Jesus was not one who was easily put into a box. He oftentimes acted in ways which were unconventional, ways that especially the religious leaders did not appreciate, and Jesus oftentimes surprised people. And we're going to consider that today as we consider the unconventional news of Jesus as we continue in our sermon series called Breaking News. And for this breaking news, we've been looking at how Jesus is the good news, the breaking good news that breaks into our lives. And we're going to see today how he breaks through barriers to connect with people that most people wouldn't have imagined he would have connected with. That's the type of Jesus we see in the Gospels. And here, specifically in the Gospel of Mark, we've been considering these accounts like they're news stories and considering think questions like what happened? Who was there? Why is this significant? What's breaking news from, in terms of Jesus and what's he breaking through? And so we pick up the action today in Mark chapter 2. Last week we considered how Jesus had an encounter with a paralyzed man and the four friends who cut a hole in the roof and lowered him down and what happened in that instance. Well, we pick up the action today in the next verse Starting in verse 13, we read this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Here we see Jesus went out to the Sea of Galilee, and a large crowd gathered. Now, the crowds play a significant role in Mark's gospel. We see the crowd referenced over 40 times in the first nine chapters of the gospel of Mark. And the question is, what is this, why is this significant? Well, it spoke to Jesus' growing popularity, that the news had gotten out. The news had spread person to person, house to house, village to village. And now crowds were beginning to form. And what attracted to the crowds? Jesus himself, but also his teaching. And here we see how he went out to the Sea of Galilee. I love that description. He went out. He didn't stay in the synagogue. He didn't stay in someone's house. Maybe he learned the lesson uh, with the crowds gathering that the prior week someone had decided to cut a hole in the roof. He's probably thinking, the next person who went to say, hey, can I come teach at your house? They're probably like, well, 
my insurance doesn't cover that. So uh, we, can we go somewhere else? So Jesus, we don't know why he went to the Sea of Galilee, but I believe partially was because he knew he would be more accessible and more people could connect with his teaching. What's always interesting is that the crowds aren't always a positive thing in Mark's gospel. Just because you're part of the crowd doesn't mean you're a follower or a disciple. You have to move from the crowd to actually following him. But the crowds, nonetheless, are there. And as Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, Mark records that he saw Levi. The same description of when Jesus called the two sets of brothers, right? Simon and Andrew, James and John. In the first chapter, Jesus saw them, which shows that, for me, that Jesus noticed Levi. He saw him and speaks to me that God notices us. He sees us and knows us. He sees us. We're, he notices us. And so Jesus sees and notices Levi. And it's interesting how he's described. That Levi was sitting, sitting there. He was sitting there. He was sitting in his place. He was sitting in his place in life as a tax collector. Nonetheless, Jesus said, follow me. And we read that Levi got up and followed him. This was an unconventional connection. And as you think about what a tax collector is, uh, James Edwards in his wonderful commentary on the Gospel of Mark, I love how he describes specifically the tax collectors who would have been at Capernaum. Here in Capernaum, which was was right on the border of another region, so it made sense that there was uh, tax collectors there. And because it was also a port, that ships would come in and they would tax goods that would come. And here it was, it was Levi as a tax collector. Jewish, ancient Jewish writings at that time described tax collectors this way, as exacting payment of men with or without consent, or sitting at tax stands with account books open and pen in hand. Right, travelers arriving in Capernaum would have been taxed by agents like Levi, and they would have been hired out by uh, the Romans, like Herod Antipas, who is the tetrarch over that region. Now, land and poll taxes were taken directly by the Romans, but taxes that were enacted on goods that would come through an area were contracted out, typically led by tax collectors who would have known the area, typically Jewish people who were no longer practicing their faith. Because by becoming a tax collector, in essence, they were turning their backs on their family and their faith because they were dealing with what the Jewish people would have considered dirty money, dirty money. So Levi was one of these middlemen. And in fact, the way it would have worked out is that he would have had to bid to be a tax collector, put out his own money. And then once he won that bid, he then would have, whatever he collected, he would have to make up that money and get more money for a living. And they were known for being greedy, for being cunning, and really robbing their own people. They were a hated people. Not just because of what they did in terms of taking money, but also religiously, they were considered to be dirty and unclean. In fact, It was enacted as Jewish rulings by two separate Jewish groups that couldn't agree on anything. It's kind of like political parties, but they were like two different groups that couldn't agree on anything. But the one thing they agreed upon was that you were allowed to lie to a tax collector. You would not be held accountable for lying to a tax collector. That's how dirty tax collectors were, and that's how much the Jewish people at that time said, we're not going to deal with them. You could even lie to them, and they agreed agreed upon that. It showed in many ways that those who became tax collectors, if you were a Jewish person, it was like committing treason because you were selling out to the Romans, the very Romans that were oppressing them and holding them and keeping them from living the lives that they believed God was calling them to live. So here we see this Levi, and here's Jesus. He saw Levi, and he called him, and Levi got up and followed him. 
we see that Jesus is an unconventional savior who takes unconventional steps. So what did Levi do? He responded to Jesus' call. Now, he, he probably heard about Jesus. He might have even have heard Jesus' teaching and maybe even seen some of Jesus' miracles. The news had spread, and Levi had heard this news and maybe had witnessed it firsthand. And so he faced a decision. Right? Would he continue to be a tax collector at this booth? Would he continue to live out his tax collector life? He had already turned his back on his family and his faith. If he stepped out and, be, and followed Jesus... He would leave, be leaving behind his tax collector life. He, was, he would really be going out on a limb because there would be nowhere else for him to turn if this didn't go the way he wanted it to go. So Matthew, and referred to the other Gospels, here Levi makes this decision. And he did it. He got up and he followed him. So continuing in Mark 15 and 16, what happens then? Is it just a, a Levi and Jesus experience? No, it expands. Verse 15, we read this. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So what happens next? After Levi follows him, in essence, they have a dinner party, and Jesus is invited, and he goes. And, and were there just a couple tax collectors and what's described as sinners there? There weren't just a few. There were many. They were everywhere. This was quite a party, quite a dinner. These are some unconventional connections. And again, we see Jesus as an unconventional savior takes some unconventional steps. And so how, why are these unconventional? First, as described, he relates to a tax collector. The fact that he even interacts with this tax collector, Levi, that's unconventional. Then he goes to his home. That's unconventional, to overstep, to walk through the doors into someone's home in which would have been considered an unclean house to, Jew, to the Jewish people, the religious leaders and others, to actually go into a house. That was a big step. That was unconventional. To take it a step further, not, did he not only go to his house and just kind of stand on the side and be like, okay, I'm in the house. He, he has dinner with them. He has table fellowship, which in that culture, that's the most intimate step you can take. He has table fellowship. He has dinner with them. And in the original Greek, when it says he has dinner, it actually it's a description of him reclining at the table, leaning in. He was fully engaged. He was fully there. And even more so, it would be one thing if it was just having dinner with Levi. That would have been scandalous. That would have been unconventional. But then there's all these other tax collectors and sinners there. And the word sinners is the same word that's used in the Old Testament to describe the wicked, those who stood outside God's laws and didn't follow the rules. So here's Jesus, not only relating to Levi, He's going to his house, not just going to his house, having dinner with him, not just having dinner with him, but having dinner with all kinds of people who are like him. This is an unconventional move by an unconventional savior. It's a big, big deal. So here are the Pharisees, and they see this. And it's so interesting. It says that the Pharisees asked his disciples. They didn't ask Jesus. It's typically a move of those who are conniving and unhealthy. Don't go to the person directly. Let's just go around. Let's go to the disciples. Let's talk to them. What about this Jesus guy? Why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Well, these Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they would have, this group arose around the Maccabe Maccabean Re revolt in 168 BC. And Pharisees mean separate ones or holy ones. And from the start, they opposed anything in terms of Greek culture and Hellenism. And especially when it came to the Jewish people kind of selling out to the culture, the Greco-Roman culture of that time. They didn't want any part of it. And so they stood on the Torah or the law of God. 
And they want to make sure everyone followed it. And they want to make sure not only did they follow the Torah, but the oral traditions that were written about it. They had expressed a disdain for those who were ignorant of God's ways or of the laws. And the Gospels record debates between Jesus and these Pharisees over and over, typically around the oral traditions. Ones that, in essence, Jesus wanted, affirmed and said he fulfilled the law, and he fulfilled especially the spirit of the law. But these oral traditions went way beyond the spirit of the law. In many ways, put on senseless burdens on people, burdens that they couldn't carry or live into. Now, there's some grace for the Pharisees, because it was believed at that time that the Pharisees believed that God's people all followed his law for a certain time, maybe for a full day. Then the Messiah would come. And so in terms of the Sabbath keeping, in terms of the laws, they wanted everyone to be perfect for a day. If everyone was perfect for a day, the Messiah would come. And so if one person messed up, on to the next day. It's like missing a streak. Oh, no, on to the next day, on to the next day, right? And so they didn't want anyone to mess up. And here's Jesus messing up all over the place, messing up their plans, unconventional Savior, taking unconventional steps. The sad irony is that they focused so much on God's laws, they missed about the care and compassion of God's laws. They also focused so much on God's laws that they wanted the Messiah to come that they missed the Messiah that was right in their midths. He was right there. So what was Jesus' response? He says this on hearing this, verse 17, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Interesting. Here, Jesus, he doesn't ignore the tax collectors and sinners. Like a good doctor wouldn't ignore someone who's sick right in their midst. Jesus engages them directly. He took unconventional steps to meet people that no one else wanted to meet. He took surprising steps. In many ways, this reveals the grace of God. That's surprising. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. Jesus embodied grace and truth. And here we see that grace on full display. And when he refers to the righteous, he's really referring to those who are self-righteous. Those who think, I don't need any help. I've got my life together. Jesus says, I didn't come to call them. They're not going to be open to me anyway. I've come to call the sick, those who need a doctor. What else did Jesus say? He goes on in a couple verses after talking a little bit about fasting. He says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Here, Jesus shifts to two parables, putting things beside one another. And he shared how the new, like, therefore, unshrunk cloth, don't put that on a tear of an old garment. Or don't put new wine into an old wineskin, because both of those will lead to a final outcome that you don't want, either a tear in the garment or the wineskins bursting. He says, don't do that. You need to put the new wine in new wineskins. Don't put it in the old. Here, he's talking about his way. The way of Jesus is how it impacts us. The breaking good news of God, the breaking good news of Jesus cannot be contained in a box, can't be contained in old ways. It needs to be put into new wineskins, Jesus is saying. And he's saying it's going to be unconventional. It's not going to be what's expected. And it may be a bit uncomfortable. Jesus, again, was an unconventional savior who took unconventional steps. So the question for those listening at that time, whether it's the religious leaders, disciples, and others, would be, are you willing and ready to follow Jesus in his unconventional ways? Would you be willing to accept the new wine and put it into a new wineskin? Would be another way to ask that question. That would have been the question for those of that day. For us today, the questions are, are we willing to be ready to follow Jesus in his unconventional ways? Are we ready to do that in the 21st century? 
We're called to be like him. A disciple is a learner or a follower. It's someone who spends time with Jesus to become more like Jesus. And if we're going to become more like Jesus, it also means stepping into some unconventional situations in unconventional ways if we're to follow an unconventional Savior. Because first we have to remember that he's broken through barriers to get to us. He did not stay far away. He came to be with us. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what we celebrate all year long, that God didn't stay far away. He came to be with us. An unconventional God didn't follow the conventional way. Most world religions, right, God is far away, or we're supposed to do acts to either placate God or try, God, the God or gods or try to make them do different things. That's not the God of Scripture. The wonderful picture, the beautiful picture of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, that God came to be with us here. And not just to be with us, but ultimately to die for us for the forgiveness of our sins and to be resurrected to life. This is unlike any other God, unlike any other religion. He broke through barriers to get to us. And therefore he calls for us to break through barriers for him to get to other people, to use us to bring his love and grace and truth to other places and other ways, to go into the world and sometimes to be unconventional. Going back to Mark 2.13, he says, Jesus went out to the Sea of Galilee. He calls us to go out and to do whatever it takes. Um, This reminds me of a story from years ago. I was in Maple Valley, Washington, out near Seattle, and I was out to lunch with with our outreach director. So interesting, the church in Maple Valley, we had a whole position dedicated to outreach. And, and his name was Will, and we, his goal was to help us think through people who were far from God and who weren't part of the church. And we were having lunch and getting all fired up and probably about a passage much like this. How can we do things that no one else is doing to reach people who no one else is reaching? And, and as we were walking along after lunch, we, came, we were walking by, and I remember coming by this corner of the, of the strip mall, and there it was a bar, Four Corners Bar and Grill. And kind of joking, I go, hey, Will, if we were really serious, we would go to places like this in the early afternoon. And I opened the door. And as I opened the door, I looked in, and there were five guys at the bar, and we just stared at each other. <laughs> and one of them said, what are you looking at? Get in here. I said, okay. I looked at Will and said, I'm going in. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. So then, <laughs> so he goes that way. I go in. I sit down. And, and as we sit down, I remember just having conversations, like first starting, you know, about sports and the weather and who's the best at darts, and because they had a bunch of dartboards, like, which one of you is the best dart thrower here? And of course, you know, they got in arguments. It's kind of like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, they started like battling each other. Um, and then, you know, over time, they started talking about their life stories and who they were. And, and, uh, and time went by. I remember looking at my watch, and, and the guy who invited me in, he says, what, do you have to rush off? He said, you have somewhere to be? He's like, why don't you just hang out a little longer? I was like, okay. So I texted Wilson, and like, I'm staying here. I'm in it. He goes, good luck. Right, so then... <laughs> But we ended up having a great time for about an hour or so, just having conversations. Eventually it turned to, well, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, no. (laughs) Who let a pastor into the bar in the afternoon? This is day drinking. We can't have you in here, right? It was crazy. But we had great conversations, great conversations. And uh, the guy who invited he's like, I'll drive you back. And the more I think about it, I'm like, why did I have him drive? But we're not going to get into that. He drove me to the church, and on the way over, uh, just more conversations. He's like, What's it like being a pastor? What about this Jesus? Small conversation, not small, but big, but you know, short time period. We got to the parking lot, and I'll never forget what he said. Um, he said, so Jeff, when um, I want to come visit your church, when are you preaching? I'm like, well, I'm not preaching for a couple weeks. We should come this week. We're starting a new sermon series. He goes, I don't care about the sermon series. He goes, I want to come hear you preach. He goes, you, ste- you were willing to step into my world. Because you're willing to do that, I'm willing to step into yours. And I was like, wow. So I was like, well, in three weeks, 
was preaching on Islam, was world religions, very interesting. Come on in, right? And, and so a couple weeks went by, and he was there. He came. And it was incredible to see him there. I greeted him. Now, I regret I didn't get his phone number. And this is not a miracle story. He didn't go on to give his life to Christ. We didn't baptize him in Lake Wilderness, and now there's a revival in the area because of him. I really wish I could tell you that. I don't know where he is today. And I'm sad because I went back a couple times to the bar looking for him, and he wasn't there. Only God knows where he is. But I trust and believe that by stepping in his world that God did something. And that someday, my prayers, I'll meet him again in heaven. He'll come up and be like, hey, thanks for coming in. And again, he would say, if we were to throw darts, I would have beat you. But that's fine. That was fine. <laughs> but that for me is a story where, again, as kind of a joke, all of a sudden I was pulled in to this bar. And that was without any intention. What if we had some intention? To go to places where people typically don't go. In the name of Jesus, who was an unconventional savior, who took unconventional steps to connect with people in an unconventional ways. I believe that's our calling for us as followers of Christ. If we want to be like Jesus, we have to take steps like Jesus. Um, and it could get really uncomfortable in the case. Think about Levi. Levi, again, a tax collector, sitting at his booth in his tax collector life. Jesus called him. And we, Mark records, he got up and followed him. He got up. There's that word again, just like before, the same word that's used for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's Levi who got up and followed him. He got up and had a new life, a new life in following Jesus, a new life, no longer as a tax collector, no longer as someone who had turned away from his faith, but a new life as a follower of Jesus. Jesus had taken unconventional steps to make an unconventional connection. That's why he's the unconventional savior. So what does this mean for us today? Wherever you are, know this, God loves you, and he's trying to do whatever it takes to get to you. And he's going to take unconventional steps. And as much as we may resist him, he wants us to open up our arms for him. My prayer that we would be an a set of people and an individual, a set of individuals who open up our arms to God. But not only that, but he calls us to go also and to take unconventional steps to connect with people. And it could be, it could be getting to know your neighbors around where you live and know them by name and be willing to help them when they need help and step out in faith. It could be just knowing the people around you where you work and, or if you have children or grandchildren at sporting activities and not just looking at your phone during that, but actually having a conversation with those around you. It could be uh, getting out of your comfort zone and serving, whether with one of our mission partners here locally, whether we're like with the Relief Bus or at Market Street Mission or even around the world as we go back to Bolivia and even back to Africa in the couple years ahead. Whatever it takes to get out of our comfort zones to take some unconventional steps to follow an unconventional savior who'll do whatever it takes to bring his love and grace to people wherever they are. Uh, may that be the case. One thing to remember from this sermon is the unconventional way of Jesus surprisingly, surprisingly removes barriers to God and a life-restoring relationship with him. And one thing to do is identify how you can let Jesus break through barriers to you. Start with you. Say, God, break through those barriers. Come, break through to me. And then ask him, how can you use me to break through barriers to other people? And consider your relationships and where they are. We'll continue to talk about this as a church. As a session, we talked a lot in the last couple weeks about what it means to meet people where they are and to invite them along. In essence, to be like Jesus, the unconventional Savior who took unconventional steps to make all kinds of unconventional connections to lead people to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may this be the case of our church. And But God, you know our lives. Lord, first, for some of us, we need you simply to break through to us. And God, I pray that you would do that in the way that you know gracefully and perfectly how to do it. Lord, you are a grace-filled God. You don't shove your way. You don't push your way into our lives. But you're there. You stand at the door and you knock. And so I pray for any person who's been resistant to you, Lord, that they would be open 
to your love and grace and truth and maybe open again if they've been disappointed. And for all of us, Lord, as we consider that grace that's come to us, help us to consider ways that we can be unconventional and connect with people, Lord, in ways like you did, Jesus. Even if it's uncomfortable, even if it may not seem to make sense. But Lord, you're a wild God and you send us on some wild adventures if we're open to it. Lord, may that be the case uh, individually and as a church. Show us what that means in the days and weeks and months ahead. And Lord, may that allow us to grow closer to you as we spend time with you, Jesus, to become more like you as your followers and disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.